Readings from Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 33 and 44 to 46. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Morning. I'm a big St. Patrick's Day fan. So much so I named my first son Patrick. One of the reasons was St. Patrick. There's other reasons that we named him Patrick. But one of the things I've always appreciated about Patrick, St. Patrick, was, uh, at least as they tell it, again, this 5th century A.D., so, you know, it's a long time ago, but as they look at the history of it, when when Patrick went back to Ireland, you know, the story is that he was uh, captured by Irish uh, pirates and was enslaved there, fled and got out, and then ended up returning to Ireland. And at that time, he had become a Christian, not while he was there the first time, but uh, as, his, um, as he returned after becoming a Christian, he knew, because of being enslaved there, he knew the the environment, the culture. And he didn't see Irish culture as something that had to be overcome prior to the gospel. He saw the way the gospel could impact through just being Christians in that environment. In in this book, uh, How the Irish Saved the World by Thomas Cahill, this quote has always struck me. It says, The key to Patrick's approach, according to Cahill, was his ability to tell the Celtic story better than the Celts could. He offered them a more complete explanation of their history showing how it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And I wonder today, as we look at how Christians look at culture, is that we would take a lesson from St. Patrick, and how do we tell the story of Jesus in a way, as people are searching for meaning, doesn't Jesus have a way that we could say, this, this is how it finds its fulfillment. This is how what you're searching for ends with Jesus. Because everyone's going to search and search and search and keep searching their entire life unless you find something. At some point, you have to settle on where the answer is. So uh, as we look at that, it brings me back to the book of Matthew because Matthew was trying to say how the whole story of the Bible, Old Testament to New, found its fulfillment in Jesus. And that we've seen that again and again as we've taken, we're about halfway through after four months, or about halfway through the book of Matthew. We're actually going to pick up the pace a little bit uh, for this and finish around Easter. But um, I want to take a minute as we look, if you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 13. Because this chapter, we looked last week at the parable of the, the sower or the parable of the soils and how... God's word gets implanted in that, I guess, two weeks ago. Thank you for those of you all, by the way, who shared testimonies last week. 
what a great time to be able to listen. If you were here last week, we had four people share testimonies. If anyone else has a a testimony they'd like to share, I'd love to have that be something we do more regularly. So if you have something God's done, let me know, and we'd love to give you an opportunity to share that. So in in, uh, Matthew chapter 13, he tells now a, a, a number of short parables. And remember last week, we looked at Parables are not, I want to reiterate, parables are not to let everyone understand the teaching more clearly. Talked about that last week. That's not the purpose of parables. That's why that confusing part is spoken where he says, you know, you have, some have ears to hear and some don't. And for some, you're going to hear it and you're not going to hear. And it can be very confusing. Parables are, I talked about being at a centrifuge. They separate out hearts. They allowed people to see who was drawn to Jesus and who rejected the message, who was cold to it, cool to it, or pursuing. The parables somehow allowed people that were ready to pursue Christ, he could find them and they would find each other to follow. So parables are a, are a way to separate and to help discern hearts. So as we read all these parables, keep that in mind. That So uh, the first parable that uh, Scott read, if you look at uh, verse 31, chapter 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. We all know mustard seeds, very, very small, right? Like this. Just, that's a little thing. And he says, Um, It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, just a little bit of leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. That's enough to make, it's about 50 pounds of flour. She hides in, and of course you have to mix the leaven up until it was all leavened, and that would make, they say, enough to feed uh, between 50 and 100 people for a week. So it's a little bit creates a lot. Let me stop here for a second and step back, because I want to address something, and this is going to be related a little bit, but it's going to be a little bit different. One of the things when you preach each week and you have to make a decision on how you try to present God's word here. I am basically just trying to lay the word out week by week in a sort of systematic fashion. And if any of you have been here for any length of time, I just go through the Bible. I choose a book of the Bible, and we just march through. And there can be uh, sometimes a sense of, I, you know, I wish you'd talk about relevant things. You know, like the issues that we all face. If I... If I pulled each one of the 130 or 40 people in this room and people watching on Facebook in the gathering place and maybe 200 of us, and I pulled and said, what are the biggest things going on in your life right now that that when you wake up at night you think about? What are the things that worry you? What are the things that concern you? And my guess is none of you would come up with mustard seeds and leaven. That probably wouldn't be. You wouldn't be like, I am so puzzled over Matthew 13, 31. That is just keeping me up at night. I'm guessing that's not the issue. So there's always a temptation to say, well, well, Tim, then why don't you? I mean, I think some of the problems are very common. You know, we struggle with, 
um, our, the relationships in our family and the strains we feel, we feel, the stress we have, anxiety, our culture, and how maybe we, we deal with various social issues or cultural issues. Or, I mean, I could name them, and I could, we could probably come up with uh, a dozen issues that kind of in a various way are things we struggle with, our finances, our time, whatever. So I could preach week after week on those things and give principles on how to sort of apply the Bible to that. And that's one way to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's something evil in that. Let me tell you, though, why I don't. And it's because of Matthew 13, 31 through 33. This is why I don't. This is why I'm convicted that preaching Scripture and just in context trying to march through is going to, over the long haul, a year, five years, ten years, is going to benefit you far more than my giving principles of living. And, and here it is, just sort of like if you take nothing else away, this would, be, this would be it. The biggest issue we face is not lack of knowledge. It's the condition of our heart. Is that I can teach you. If people say, I've had people ask me all the time, gosh, you know, like, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to manage my money. You know, I just I don't know how to tithe and do all this. I'm like, okay, let me teach you the principle of tithing. Take your weekly income, move the decimal one point to the left, write a check, and put it in the offering plate. Your tithing problem is absolutely solved. Well, that's not what I meant. I know what you meant is the condition of your heart hasn't allowed yet for you to begin to have a release of your money to be able to do that, the budgeting and all that stuff. It just hasn't happened. People say, could you teach me how to deal with my, you know, my, my in-laws? They just drive me crazy. Can you teach me how to deal with them? You know, I, just, I could say, well, I could teach you three principles on sort of you know, submitting to them and, 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 and relationship. But the issue is probably that there's, there's heart issues involved here. And so my conviction is, is that God's word is like a mustard seed or a little bit of leaven. That if we will take and put God's word into situations and we will begin to apply and work, what you will find is, is that you'll come back to the dough that you've left on the counter the night before. Now, it takes longer than a night. I get it. But I'm always amazed. Nancy makes bread sometimes. And you know, it's just this awesome thing. You take it and you mix it in there and you come back the next day and like it's, you know, this little thing became this thing for just that little bit in there. And I planted, uh, I planted my first seeds Thursday and Friday, the seeding, the seeds begun. I, I, probably a little early, but radishes and things will grow early. I don't even like radishes, but I plant them anyway. Do you know why I plant them? Because I love to see them grow. And I can find some poor soul that likes to eat them. And I hear they're good, but, and they're 25 days. See, that's the beauty, is that, you know, my tomatoes, the other things I planted are going to take months, but we're going to see a shoot come up out of the ground. Can I implore you to put God's word, take it and hide it within your heart in your time the mystery of daily time with Jesus. And it's, it's, there's not a formula. It's not just reading it. It's the word implanted in your soul, which will change your life. And you won't know how. That's the amazing thing about this. Can any, I mean, maybe some of you are smart enough to tell me everything about how that seed becomes this mustard tree that supports birds. Most of us can't. It's, it's a mystery. Or why the leaven works. And I could try to explain to you how good God's word is for your soul. 
but I really can't. All I know is, is if you will take and through any means possible and plant his word in you, you will find yourself becoming something different. And you will wake up one day and you will be this lump of dough running all over the counter. Not really. That's, you probably need to go to the gym if that's the case. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You will find yourself different. You say, well, I, you know, I, I'm so anxious or sad. Plant God's word in your heart. And one day you'll wake up and you'll say, I'm at peace. I don't know how. And I could sit here and every week give you seven principles for peace, but I'd rather give you the word implanted a little bit. And if you'll take it and chew on it and let it grow, I, I don't know how the mystery works. I don't even claim to know, but I know God's word promises that. So that's why we do this. That's why we're, we're trying. And Jesus, I think, is trying to say, and for those of you who say, well, I just I need something more practical, that's fine. I bless, I, I'm, not, I'm not critical of that, but I'm just telling you where I'm coming from and what I'm convicted of, okay? So that's why I wanted to read that passage. Now, second part, turn to Matthew 13, verse 44, because this is what I really, really want to say this morning. Matthew 13, there's two, just like there were two parables, Jesus often does this. He takes two parables that have a very similar point but come at it from different angles. And the seed and the leaven are two parables that have the same point and have slightly different emphases. So I won't go into the details of those emphases because I'm going to do that with the next two that we're going to look at. But just know that that's a common technique that uh, storytellers told and Jesus used. So this is uh, verse 44. It tells two quick parables. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Here's the other one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's it. Okay, what do those two things have in common? Let's look at the stories a second. So, you understand there were no, like, safe deposit boxes when Jesus was around. There's no banking system. There's no nothing. Do you have something very, very valuable that can be taken? Where do you keep it in the first century? Where do you put it? What's safe? There's no locks like that. So people would take very, whatever they had that was tangible of value, and they would have to find somewhere to hide it. That was just a common thing. And so this, this idea is not unique to Jesus. People, rabbis and others talk about things that were hidden. So think about all the things that happens with that. When uh, we were going through my, um, my dad's stuff, my dad passed away a few weeks ago. As we were going through, my brother emailed me this week that hidden sort of somewhere in the back, I don't know, under a drawer, whatever, my dad had put a, like a, a bracelet or something. And my, my brother said, well, he thought he doesn't, we don't know anything about jewelry. He took it and it was, it was quite valuable. I mean, it was not millions of dollars, but it was like a, a, a valuable piece that dad had just hidden like in a field. So all the time, the stories of you've hidden something, let's just say somebody, uh, you know, has a heart attack and dies and they've left stuff buried in fields somewhere. This happened. 
So people are just finding valuable things. And so Jesus tells this story, and this would have been familiar. This wouldn't be something we would necessarily have. My dad's situation is probably unique, but you think about finding something, and this person wasn't looking for something valuable. Sort of one of the points of this is that this first person was, it just says he happened along. The word there that's used, he just is happening along a field, and he maybe his toe hits something. He looks down, and it's, it's like something of incredible value. Now, you can say that the point of this parable isn't sort of what should he have done, like picked it up and gone to the nearest house and said, is this yours? What does he do? He buries it again, right? The point is this. Two things happen to the man at this point. He says he has incredible joy. He's seen something of incredible value. So that's point one. He just, know, he just knows this thing is amazing. And then number two, he goes and he determines he's going to sell everything he has in order to purchase that field because of the valuable thing that's in there. So those two points. Now, second one. There's a merchant who is in search of fine pearls. So this is somebody who is actually searching, not happenstance, not coming along. He's actually going out and looking for, hey, where's that, you know, I'm, I'm a, like a jeweler. I'm looking for that. And he comes across, and all of a sudden he sees this incredible piece. But he's looking for it. He's alert. He's trying to find it. Let's see what it says in this one. This is verse 46 who on finding the one pearl of great value went and he sold all that he had and bought it. So these parallels, one is not searching just by happenstance, just comes upon this great value. The other person is searching for something, finds something. They both sell everything they have in order for this to be theirs. Very, very simply, as directly as I can say this, knowing Jesus Christ is of inestimable worth. It is more valuable than anything we value on this life, in this life. Having a relationship with him and knowing the treasure that he is. And if it is for you, and you just have to get honest with your own heart, if, if we don't value that, if it's you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I, 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 I'm a Christian or I follow for a variety of reasons, but it's, it doesn't overwhelm us. Then I would encourage you, implore you, exhort you, any verb I can use to, to, to say, please look, get this assessed, take it to a jeweler, take it to someone and find out how valuable this treasure is. Of Jesus Christ is. And then sell everything that you have. Whatever holds you back. Sell it in order to purchase that. This word that's used for this inestimable worth. This of, of great value. Is only used three times in the, in the New Testament. And I think it's instructive for us to look at where it's used. If you have your Bible, and then we'll close with this, John 12, Gospel of John, 
chapter 12, verse 3. Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. And in a cool thing, they're having dinner with a guy who used to be dead and is now alive. It must have been a really hard ticket to get into that dinner, to sit with Lazarus. I'll start at verse 1, John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. This is right before Jesus is about to be crucified. Where Jesus, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment. It's one of the other places, one of the three places that it's used. Matthew 13, 44 and 46, it's used as of, of great worth. She took this thing of great worth, this ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? That's, that's uh, one, uh, one denarii is the uh, day laborer's wage for the full day. So just translating that into modern, if you had a, a day laborer, 300 days, so virtually a year's salary of, you know, someone who was a, a worker, um, a lot. Uh, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? The point I want to make is this. This was very likely, Mary and Martha had, were women of some means, but this was quite likely a very substantive amount. Maybe, maybe her nest egg, who knows. But she poured it over Jesus' feet, and she laid it out there. She poured maybe her future, maybe her financial future was laid at Jesus' feet. I don't know. But it was, it, it, the point the Scripture is trying to make is that she didn't hold back she realized that the worth of Jesus was worth far more than whatever that pot of finances could, could hold. The other place it's used is 1 Peter 1.7. Final scripture, 1 Peter 1.7. Our verse as a, that this church is based on is in this passage of 1 Peter 1. It talks in verse 3 about being born again to a living hope. As he's talking about that principle in verse 1-7, he says this, the, the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold, of inestimable value, of inestimable value than more than gold, because gold perishes though it is tested by fire. Your faith should be found to result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the last day, what you're going to take with you when your days are numbered, everything we have, everything we work for will be gone one day. And what you will have is that which is left in the, after all else is gone. And the scripture teaches us is that it, it is the faith that we carry and what is eternal and precious and lasting. And that when we look back and we say, what is, what is this all about? What is this life really meant? Is that if we can say, well, you know what? Whatever I sold, whatever I gave up from inside me to pursue my relationship with Jesus, the joy that was found in that is going to bury 
whatever loss you feel now. Be a smart investor. Find the pearl of great price. Sell all that you have. It will be worth it. When Jesus Christ came, sacrificed himself for us, he left us with this remembrance that he said, would you do this when you come together? Would you celebrate this thing of great value? If, in, in many ways, this, this thing costs a quarter of a penny, whatever, less. I mean, it's just, it's a wafer. And yet, the significance of this is, a, this is the pearl of great price. It stands for that which is the life of Jesus Christ sacrificed for you. If the Son of God came and died in your place, there is nothing of more value. 